Welcome to the Limitless Athletes Podcast by Mindset RX. I'm your host, Tom Foxy. You're listening to The Debrief, where myself and Rachel Burnett, our head coach, will discuss the lessons and insights gleaned from the Limitless Athlete Podcast with Emily Rolfe. You can listen to the show in isolation as a kind of distillation of the major points in the interview with Emily, or you can listen to the interview and follow it up by listening to the show. Your choice. Now, let's get on with the show. Let's start out with Emily's podcast. Pretty sweet podcast. Great to hear from a CrossFit Games athlete. And what did you find interesting about Emily's uh, interview? Uh, I mean, so much. I The first thing that struck me was her experience in gymnastics and going into CrossFit. And I remember one of the things that she brought up there was that Uh, going into CrossFit and learning new skills felt really easy for her. I think she said it took her about a week to get her first muscle up, but it felt easy because her experience in gymnastics was working for years before she attained a skill. And I find that interesting because so much of what we work with athletes on is learning to delay gratification or to continue working at something, even when success isn't apparent or coming right away. I think that experience really set her up for success. So that I I love this as well, because we're already on different topics of conversation, like what I find interesting, what you find interesting. So that's really sweet. So obviously delaying gratification is super important. Mm -hmm. We know why, because it helps us achieve what is really meaningful to us in the long run most things worth having don't come quickly um what does it sound like inside athletes heads when they are maybe trying doing the opposite of delaying gratification Mm. it looks like choosing the easy path And so what that sounds like is different for everyone, but for a lot of people, it runs into that checked mindset model that we, that we have, uh, it's, I can't do it. I give up like, screw this. Uh, but it can also be in that chaser model where, where they're pushing too hard because waiting for it feels so deeply uncomfortable. Nice. Nice. So yes, there's this internal narrative that's encouraging us to um to rush through like i want it now i want i don't want to do the work um whereas what we heard with emily is this kind of i suppose this expectation that it might take some time that it's okay and what does it look like when we're delaying gratification well it looks like focusing on the process and what we have control over Mm. mostly yeah instead of outcomes exactly yeah if if we're approaching every training session with a need to max something out to prove that we're still progressing, that's a sign that we're not able to delay gratification. But if we can accomplish what has been set out for us to do, see what went well, learn from the things that didn't go well, that's what delaying gratification looks like. And obviously this is 
yeah, skill transfer, yes, like or, or skill work, sorry, sorry, muscle ups, deadlifts, um, ollie lifting, all these kind of things that are kind of more technical, but then it also applies to just sticking with a strength cycle and kind of that kind of just consistency of calisthenics or body weight, or maybe even spending hours on the pavement and then nutrition, recovery, basically oh, yeah. everything we do. 100% De- uh, dedicating ourselves to a consistent sleep routine. Exactly. Committing to going to bed on time, doing that for six months is really hard. It's easy to do it for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So my new obsession is this guy, um, Naval Ravikant, entrepreneur, kind of philosopher, interesting guy. Um, he's like if Marcus Aurelius got into angel investing, um, but he um, he's like very aware of <laughs> philosophy and um, spirituality and all this kind of stuff. He said everything great in life comes from compound interest. So this idea that, yeah, we do it once or twice and you get 1% return. But then after six months, maybe you're earning another 1% on that 1% that you've already gained. And then in 12 months, you're gaining another 1% on that one. And it just compounds and compounds and compounds. And this is probably something for um, us all to explore in life, even relationships. It's like when you lock down a good relationship, like us, our working environment to be, uh, is a good example. Because it's like, we love working together. Well, I, I love working with you. Um, I love and, working with you. Good. and this isn't a transactional thing. That's what I was asking for. Um, this isn't a transactional thing. It's not like something <laughs> we're doing on a short term. You'll like, yeah. get it done, move yeah. on. It's like the better we work together or the longer we work together, the more we know each other, the more we can get like, better results for each other, help each other out more and therefore help our athletes better. Yeah. Well, and there's definitely something to be said for needing a result from a relationship is technically fixed mindset. It's Mm. either I have it or I don't. Whereas a growth mindset is a relationship is a process. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly Mm. right. Right. I'm going to move on to something I find interesting now as well. Yes. Because others who are going to, we could focus on that all day. First thing that I thought was how similar it is. And I kind of, I was hoping we were going to get this for, from a lot of athletes at the high level, um, because we hear a lot especially in my role, I hear a lot speaking to athletes who are at that kind of quarterfinals, semifinals, like that kind of band, not quite professional or not quite the kind of the fully elite standard, but pushing into it. Um, but we also hear it for people who are in that first time at the gym, all that kind of stuff, which is, I don't belong here. Um, mm-hmm. And this sense of belonging and safety that you get and feeling comfortable in this environment, I find it so fascinating that Emily feels it too or felt it too and it she puts a lot of her growth down especially with her mental coach who Brett uh, Papini Papani I can't remember his surname shocking behavior um we're calling Brett um <laughs> they've obviously worked on it together and yeah. it's something that we all work on and we all kind of typically need to work on so yeah this that's my interesting point to bring out from, mm. from this yeah it's a it's like imposter syndrome right Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, um, how do you see that show up in that quarterfinal semifinal borderline athlete? Yeah. The, the big one is looking around and seeing all these athletes who maybe you've seen their names cropping up and maybe you've started competing, but it definitely wasn't eight years ago, or you started CrossFit in the last couple of years and you've seen your performance excel. And then you kind of, all these people that you used to idolize or you kind of, you knew around the scene or you heard these rumors and like, oh, it's so-and-so. Like they've got, a, they've, they've got ridiculous gymnastics skills or their strength is unreal. And then suddenly you're like comparing yourself to them, looking around thinking, 
oh shit, am I good enough to be here? Do I, should I be here? And then impacting performance goals, impacting kind of, because you're spending your entire workout thinking, hmm, like maybe I, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe my, maybe I'm not strong enough. And like this just infiltrates the entire weekend or week or day or whatever your comp is. Yeah. We'll dive into that more. What's the, why does comparison in that way so negatively impact performance? Hmm. I think any mental chatter that is kind of not necessarily serving and non-serving, but like what we know about free nature and our best performances is it comes about at this piece and this kind of when you when whenever I've asked someone whenever we've coached someone toward whenever like everyone's experienced those moments of flow whether there's a small moment or the huge huge like kind of career defining moments everyone's experienced it and it's always characterized by this kind of like peace and inner tranquility and kind of almost like being able to separate yourself from your experience and stand back and that's what we always hear it's never busy frantic stressful I should be doing this, like the whole, the shame piece of, of should. Um, it's never sounding like that. It's always chill. Like it's always got some, some space. It's present too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're exactly right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more we can achieve that presence, the better I think we do. I totally agree. Yeah. 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 What's, what's next on your list? What was the interest? Unless you want to dive into that. Oh. Boy, where, where should we go? Um, I had so many, Tom, how do I even choose? This was such a great podcast. So I think for me, this is an interesting one for athletes who are on the cusp of achieving the elite level or, or even not necessarily achieving the elite level, but pushing themselves into a next level of fitness. And that's Emily's occasional thought that she should sometimes go full-time athlete. Um, do you remember what her profession is outside of? Yeah, she's a radiographer. So she works in medicine in the health industry. Yeah. And, uh, I thought it was really cool that it actually ends up giving her an edge. Mm. Yeah. Because because what do we expect there? Yeah. It makes her manage her time very, very carefully. Uh, I think the quote that she gave was something along the lines of when you have more time, you waste more time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. It's that classic Parkinson's law of like a task expands the amount of time allotted. So mm-hmm. it's like the homework example. You get given homework when you're a kid and then it's like, oh no, it's due tomorrow. <laughs> and it takes the two weeks technically, but it's only a half an hour task. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see athletes make like kind of falling into the trap of allowing ourselves too much space or thinking like kind of identifying this thing that like maybe I should commit a hundred percent or I don't have the time. Like what's the, the problem that you see here? The problem comes when the reality that's, that is our lives. So in this case, Emily works and she is a CrossFit athlete. That's her reality that has to be accepted, but in order to accept it, and embrace it, we have to be able to frame that difference between how we're doing it with how we think everybody should be doing it 
as a, some kind of advantage. And that's how she's managed to frame what could be perceived as a disadvantage. She views it as an advantage. So, um, when, when I was working with Allison Scuds last year, she had a family emergency that cut a portion of her training time uh, at her regular gym. She was very out of her routine because she had to be at home. She was still training, but she was also caregiving. And so when that happened, a lot of what we talked about was, okay, this is happening. We can't change it. How can it actually be giving you an edge? And what we discovered was that she had been feeling like she needed a break, like she needed a little like rest in her routine. And so we pretty much just worked on framing it as no, it's not what we expected, but it is actually what I need. And it's going to actually make me better for the rest of the season to have, to have taken this time a little like deload unexpectedly. Nice. I love that because it's such a direct example of the obstacle is the way like what stands in the way becomes the way the um, impediment to action advances advances action that that again that stoic idea of like okay there's a problem but maybe it's not a problem maybe it's actually exactly what i needed and without this problem without this obstacle i wouldn't have the chance the opportunity to forge myself into a better version of myself mm, yeah absolutely yeah. where do we see the opposite happening? Like when do people, like how do people not deploy this? Ooh, they get stuck. So yeah. what it turns into is, woe is me. This is my situation. Wow, wow, boohoo. Uh, pure, purely, purely mental complaining and whining to ourselves. We all do it. There's no judgment when I say that. We all do that to some extent. In fact, another one of my interesting points is Emily noticed a non-serving thought and kind of, kind of made a little mention that Brett is going to be mad at me for saying yeah. this or thinking this, but the reality is we all have non-serving thoughts and emotions. Sometimes it's not a problem to the problem is to use the very eloquent word that you did last week. We become captivated by them. Mm. We allow them to like wrestle us away from reality, from what could be, from what we have control over. Yeah. It's um, just like Matt Fitzgerald said in the podcast that we did together. He said, um, it's not that we're trying to get rid of the voice. You're never going to get rid of the voice. It's just having an answer to it or having a kind of a response, a kind of a process that you follow. And that's really what, a, like, I think there's this idea that we have to reach enlightenment and enlightenment being this kind of thoughtless, perfect. And like, I was even kind of speaking to those terms yeah. earlier, but I didn't say silent. I said quiet and it's like non-judgmental. Um, but there's this kind of belief that we have to get to this Zen, completely absence of thought, that, that negative thoughts and kind of self-criticism are never going to pop up. Comparisons never going to crop, crop up. All these kind of things are just going to, oh, we're just going to be free of them. But yeah. that's not what happens, especially after a lifetime's worth of conditioning plus tens of thousands of years of societal conditioning. Like we're never going to just drop out of that, but we can. Nor do we need to. Exactly. To be high performers. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah we don't need to become a monk. We just yes. need to, like no saffron robes required for mindset mastery. Absolutely. You can still wear your gym clothes. Yeah. Luckily, because yeah. my new noble swag is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um that's cool that's really cool yeah. when what have you sorry what was your next one i love the combination of 
her family's input and you could clearly see how the kind of the environment that emily grew up in was so perfect to condition her in a lot of ways to becoming who she was and it kind of that in itself gives us this understanding of you know what like there's a lot that we can't control there's a lot of it that is just who we're brought up with our immediate influence um but she's combined that with incredibly hard work on her mentality too so like she's proof that yes there's we get handed certain advantages like we're never the genetic advances uh, advantages um, environmental advantages all these kind of advantages just strokes of luck along the way but that is no substitute for that combined with hard work it's almost like they multiply together and the product of them together is so much greater than they could be in in by themselves absolutely i mean your mindset is your cap on your potential i think that matt fitzgerald says something similar to that it's like that is always your stopping point there's no way around that but because of neuroplasticity we can build it yeah exactly yeah. right exactly mm-hmm. right so yeah she's got this this great coach that she's obviously working hard on um but I thought was interesting as well as this kind of she she can draw exact lessons and she didn't have them as obvious things that were there. They weren't like, okay, this is how my dad taught me about mindset. This is how my mom, Javelin Thrower, taught me about my mindset. And this it wasn't explicit. There was these implicit lessons. And um, I particularly found it interesting as well how Emily said her mom taught her the um the kind of the size of humility. And she didn't consider that to be an advantage yeah. in competing until she realized that it was. And I was like, oh, you know what? That is a big advantage. Mm. How so? What, the humility piece? Yeah. Because I think it gives her the chance to, to not get ahead of herself, to not um, think she's greater than she is, and to keep doing the hard work and to keep doing the what's difficult on a daily basis rather than what we see kind of fairly frequently of just i'm going to max out my snatch every day or i don't need to do this because i'm special that was by the way like i speak quite a lot about this from kind of like an observational point of view that was me for a long 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 time and i I need to make that clear like like (laughs) the reason i know that one so well is because like i believed i was special and i can get away with anything for so long um turns out you have to work as well. And that's part of a good mindset is actually doing stuff that isn't mindset related as well. That's why we can say it's all non-judgmental. We have all done these things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a reminder to myself as much as everyone else. <laughs> like, that's why I love speaking to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, have you got another point? Ooh, I do. I wanted to, I wanted to dive into this. There is I think everyone has experienced this. There's more pressure to perform well when we know that we have the potential to win. Like when we know that our our, uh, personal advantages are going to be on display. If you're approaching a workout where I'm not, example, I'm not a runner and it's a running event. All right, I can relax and just, just do my best. But as soon as it's something that's within my wheelhouse, there's suddenly pressure where where do you think that comes from you know what i i'm not sure where it comes from but the the result is so so obvious isn't it like 
we again we're trying to get to that place where we're experiencing free nature that that freedom um and the freedom of expectations of ourselves maybe it's something to go along those lines um where do you think it comes from i i think you're on the right track with expectations mm. yeah and and that leads me to think the note that i wrote as i was taking notes listening to the podcast was what do we have to lose? Why is there more to lose when it's something that we would anticipate being really good at? Yeah. We have expectations. Is this, is the story, my self-worth is tied to me being good at this. If I display that I'm not good at it, then. Yeah. And there's uh also, there's, I think that's exactly. And also your identity is so synonymous with this is who I am. I am good at this. Um, and therefore you kind of, you stand to lose a lot of your identity. So if you mm -hmm. don't live up to that expectation, you know. Woof. Mm. You stand to lose <laughs> a lot of your identity. That's some high stakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, um, how do we train athletes to remove their identity? And, you know, a lot of our identity is just thoughts, right? It's yeah. mental chatter. Like if you the further I go into my meditation practice, the more I realize that like, where am I? <laughs> like, like, like try and pinpoint yourself and your experience. And it's a difficult thing to do. That is a conversation for another day, but it's like at the, the heart of it, we are just a collection of thoughts and experiences. Like you're born, there's a bunch of flashing lights and colors and like images and sounds and thoughts and things. And then you die. And like, mm -hmm amongst all the flashing thoughts and images and sounds and thoughts and emotions and experiences, your identity is collected within there. Um, so yeah, like the fact that we rest our identity on this and think this has to go a certain way. It's almost like you've got this desire to manipulate what's happening outside of you. Mm, sure. Yeah. Mm. Again, it's being captivated by mm. thoughts and treating them as true and real. Yes. Yes. Because they, they're, they're not the same thing as reality. Yeah. Or it's just another piece of reality that I, th I think I look at it like that. Like, I don't think it's necessarily the perfect answer, but no. I, I look at it like, Oh, they're emotions. They there's thoughts, there's kind of fears, whatever they are important, but they're not everything. Yeah. They're kind of like, there's something. But yeah. with enough perspective, I realized that I am not my thoughts. I'm yeah. not my emotions. And yeah. I think, think that's the way to go with it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like that idea of the expectations, I think, is a big piece. And we all hold expectations. right? Yeah. Like, where do you yeah. see outside of the competition environment, like I am good at this, where do you yeah. see expectations interrupting athletes and also people in, in wildlife? Yeah. I think that that can happen a lot at work too. Go on, how? A lot of work. Imagine a coach coming in with their, they're new in a gym or they're coaching a new class and they haven't built trust yet. And athletes treat them differently when you're new versus when you've built that trust. But if a coach has a really strong, and an ego is the word that's coming to me now. The coach has a really strong sense of ego and expectation of how well they're going to have buy-in 
from athletes who don't know them yet, that will have a negative effect on how well they think the class goes or how well they think they're building relationships. Yeah. And then that obviously means the athletes don't get the kind of results they want. The coach doesn't get the career development that they want. And yeah. like, I think I had this as well. I think I used to have think it feel like I need to prove myself right now and make mm-hmm. sure that they respect me right now. And then if they don't like, well, it's obviously their fault. Like I think right yeah. at the beginning of my coaching career, I was like that again, that ego piece, the slight yeah. arrogance. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely crops up. Yeah. And actually thinking about, my entire career coaching and seeing it and like, Oh, that's why so-and-so in this gym, like that's, that was what was happening there. Mm, yeah. I'm not yeah. going to name names. I, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think ego can also show up as feeling as though we're more important in the equation than we are. Does that make sense? So we have a lot of influence over the relationship and feeling a need to be liked is very common But how I define being a great coach is not worrying about whether or not they like you, but whether or not they know that you like them. Mm. So when your ego is focused on people pleasing and making sure that people like you, that has a negative effect on whether or not athletes know that you like them. Mm. That's how you get depressed. Yeah. And I love this because we're straight into the depth side of things. Like on one side, this is very transactional relationship of like, I give you coaching, you give me your energy and effectively your money. Um, and that's our agreement between each other. But with like, what you did there, which is the hallmark I say of any great mindset coach is to sink through the layers very, very quickly. And just like, oh, this is about self-love. It's about wanting to feel loved. It's about wanting to feel like you belong back into that side of things. And it's about far more than sit-ups, snatches, running. Like it's way more than that. And it always is. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I did that this morning. Oh, that came right to you. That makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. That is far more than that. Yeah. Awesome. my last point that i found interesting the actually did you want to pick out anything there before i hijack what's going on anything with from the expectation side of things and having this kind of realizing that we need to before we stand with more to lose around i think it's something to remain aware of if you know that you have those expectations but i think we covered it really beautifully There's my perfect segue. Thank you very much. Awareness. Um, So the thing that I think um, that Emily's done very, very well is this ability to see her thoughts are just merely thoughts and that process of documenting her thoughts, um, similar to what we teach within Observe Your Inner Athlete. It's like this idea of, I'm not going to try and construct my thoughts first. I'm going to test like the first phase of the Mindset Rx method, like test, um, we're going to test our mindset first. We're going to see it clearly. And that in itself often generates enough perspective to begin the slight shift. Uh, you're so right. We, we love to jump to constructing our thoughts. Do you think that that has to do with control? Mm, yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly yeah, right. It's like, I want to control, control the outcome. How, what, is that, what does that look like when athletes skip testing? Oh, it's like, I'm going to be positive. Oh, like, like okay, cool. So, yeah, like, or it's the gratitude journals, and where you're just just focusing on gratitude, or it's like 
I'm just, yeah, I, it's the positivity thing is comes kind of where like, I'm just going to think positively. Well, mm-hmm. maybe, but maybe you're also subjected to subconscious thought and it's not just about what's happening consciously. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and then you end up right back where you started anyway. Yeah. That and exactly. And that's where that perpetuating loop. Um, I can remember many, many examples where the subconscious kind of gets in the way. I think biggest one was around training for myself mm-hmm. um, where I kind of, I had this belief that I needed to be a certain way in order to get to um, physical training instructor level at um, in the Royal Marines. If I really asked myself deeply, I didn't want to be doing it. And I was just doing it because that was what hierarchy expected and mm-hmm. because I was relatively fit. But consciously, I was saying to myself, you want this, you want a tight white vest and some tiny shorts to walk around in, in the military. Um, which I, I still, yeah, exactly. I still do. Um, <laughs> and you, but, and also you want to be looked at in this way. You want to be seen. So, so I was consciously telling myself, like, you want this, you want this, you want this, you want to get this. Subconsciously, I didn't want to. And the subconscious won out when I didn't train as I should have done when I, or that I needed to, in order to get to that level. Um, I couldn't find the necessary effort in the tests. Um, I didn't stand up with confidence and the thing. So the subconscious level there was the thing undermining me. So to try and come in there and consciously talk over these things is well, impossible. Yeah. It leads to self-sabotage. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. So what do we do there? Like actually, yeah. What do, what do we do there? <laughs> so what do we do? Yeah. Well, you already said it, right? It's documenting thoughts. Like Emily said, we call that the observe your inner athlete exercise. And the purpose of it is to allow your subconscious to see, or excuse me, allow your conscious to see what your subconscious thinks. We don't know what we think often until we write it down. So that stream of consciousness writing is really important to our practice. It's very uncomfortable when it's new, extremely uncomfortable. And a lot of times the natural filters we put in, I I came to mindset work knowing what serving thought was. And so tried to apply serving thought often to my journaling, but it was limiting. It didn't, it didn't allow me to see how deeply upset I was about certain things. And then to further explore why I was upset about them and uncover the story that I was telling myself that was leading to all kinds of negative emotions, behaviors that were non-serving. So getting, getting that thought documentation down is critical. Mm. And I think the other thing that you kind of, you alluded to there is quite often there's athletes who think you know what i don't think there's that kind of depth going on but if we haven't worked on our mindset it's all going on <laughs> it's yeah. it's all underneath the surface and it's all like yeah there's a lot of experiences that you've interpreted and it's all going on yes yeah it's all there thank you for listening to the debrief partner episode of the limitless athlete podcast 
we'll be following up each episode with these quick and applicable summaries. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. These will be with CrossFit Games athletes, coaches, authors, and other inspiring people who help you find your next level of mindset growth and performance inside and outside of the gym. If you can leave a five-star review and share the episodes with your friends, that'd be awesome. So see you next week with another mindset shifting interview and a debrief episode to follow up.